Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about God's perfect will this morning. Of course, we're addressing those that have graduated. They're moving on in their lives. But also, I believe it's very powerful and, and impacting to all of us, understanding God's perfect will for each and every one of us. And we're going to begin by looking at Jeremiah 29, verse 11 through 14. Familiar text, familiar scriptures to all of us. At least they should be. Let's look at Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again to the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. God has a wonderful plan for each and every one of our lives. It's a plan, as he says, for good, not for evil, to give you peace. Notice the word peace there is the Hebrew word shalom and an expected end is a reference to a future hope. Aren't you glad that we have a future hope that doesn't end at the grave? Amen. So he has good things in store for us. He has peace in store for us. And he has eternal glory in store for us. And all this makes up his will for every person's life. You would think that these words are being spoken to a group of people that were loving God, serving God, obeying God, living a life of no compromise, moral integrity, and so on and so forth. But they weren't. These were words that were spoken to a group of people, a nation that was under judgment. They were about to be brought into captivity 70 years in Babylon where they were going to suffer, of course, being captives and slaves and that sort of thing in their lives. So in other words, when he was speaking these words forth, he was saying these words to people that really were not walking with him and obeying him and serving him at the time. Now, he said, I know the thoughts I think of you or toward you, says the Lord. I know my thoughts. Do you ever try to read someone else's thoughts? Do you ever sit down and just think what God's thinking of you and maybe not so good of things he's thinking about you? You can just see them having, I'm sure, a warfare in their mind about the thoughts that God must be thinking about them. He's done with us. He wants to get rid of us. He wants to reject us. He wants us to go into slavery. I know that we've made some mistakes along the way. We haven't honored him. And so he has all these terrible negative thoughts. Have you ever sat and ward with some of the thoughts thinking that God's thinking these things about you in your life. I made this mistake. I made that mistake. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. In the past I did this. In the past I did that. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I let God down and so on and so forth. Well, let me tell you something. Here's what God is saying to them. Don't tell me what I'm thinking about you. Let me tell you what I'm thinking about you. And what I'm thinking about you is something good. Not evil. And also I'm thinking peace. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And the word shalom means more than just peace. It's an all-inclusive word. It means, yes, peace. It also means provision, prosperity, 
favor, blessings, abundance, and the list goes on in every area of a person's life. But God is saying, my will for you is perfect peace, tranquility, provision, health, protection, blessing, and abundance. That's my will for you. It never changes. It didn't change from the beginning. It's not going to change in the end. And even though you're not walking in it right now because of what you've made a decision to do, and that is to rebel against me, and now you're going to be in captivity. But I'm telling you what, my will for you doesn't change. It's established now and forever. And when you teach like that, the first thing you hear from people is, but that, those were the Israelites, God's chosen people. So are we God's chosen, chosen people. Amen. We are. But just in case you want proof of that, look at Psalm 139 and beginning at verse 13 this is from the English Standard Version of the Bible and let's read what it says for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see that, that expression, depths of the earth? It's an idiom that really means within the darkest places of the womb. Your eyes saw my, everybody say, unformed. Say it again. You saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. This is David speaking. The wonders of conception and birth and what takes place at the point of conception and birth and that's what he's talking about now may I be so bold as to say I can understand if you're atheist and you believe in pro-choice but I can understand if you're a Christian and you believe in pro-choice and you're going to find out why here in just a moment. But can I also just throw a thought out to all of us, just once again, for clarity? Because I heard someone on TV just really ranting and raving. It's about my body, my choice. Well, if that's true and the government is not allowed to regulate what you do with your body, why isn't prostitution legalized? And why aren't there more women complaining about it? It's your body. It's your choice. Why is the government allowed to regulate that? I recently discovered this finding, which I had it written here for us all to read for ourselves so that you can see it. Because I'll tell you what, when I read this, it almost brought me to my knees. About you and me and God's thoughts of every single one of us that goes beyond anything we could comprehend or imagine. So let's read it first. 
David is praising the miracle of conception and birth by the hand of the Almighty God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139.14. There is no more wonderful work of God in the whole universe than a human being. Each human body has trillions of cells falling into some five classifications. And recent research into the mysteries of the DNA, the effective element in conception, has added almost incredible dimensions to the wonder which men already had identified, but which is a million times more wonderful than anyone ever dreamed it was until recent discoveries by such noted medical doctors as Dr. Elton Stubblefield, a director of such research at the M.D. Anderson Hospital in Houston. He recently declared in a public address that each cell, and remember, there are trillions of them, basically seven trillion cells in every human body at the moment of conception is supplies with a library of a quarter of a million words commanding that cell exactly how many times to multiply and when to die at conception that is the reason one's nose is not as long as that of an elephant now stop there just for a moment because that really impressed me too. <laughs> so in other words, at conception, 250,000 words are being directed toward every cell in the structure of that human body, be it an animal or a human being, telling it when to multiply, when to stop multiplying, or when to die. So when it was an elephant that was in the making by the hand of God, all those cells responded and the nose cells did not stop multiplying until it got as long as it's supposed to be. Then when he saw me, he said, Anzavino. And he said, an Italian. Okay. Now your nose has got to be not like your great grandfather's or your grandfather's. Maybe not as long as your dad's, but maybe a little bit fatter than your dad's. But you get the point that since you're an Italian, we're going to make it a distinct way. Okay, cell stop. And that's the nose I have. Can you even begin to allow your brain to calculate, to wrap your brain around something so intriguing, something so beyond our understanding that every cell having 250,000 words at a command given by Almighty God to say stop or start or multiply? Can you imagine that? And when does it begin? At conception. In our unformed state, it begins. It began. God detailed everyone's life at that point. In view of this knowledge, and it is only beginning to be unraveled and deciphered, one must admit that the words that stand at the head of these two paragraphs in Psalms 139.14 are the greatest understatement on earth. Do you stand in awe of that? Even the thought of this, think about it. If there are 7 trillion cells and each one receives a 250,000 library of words, I'm not, I'm pretty good at math, but what's 7 million, 7 trillion times 250,000? Does that not basically say what the psalmist said that 
if I were to number them, it would be like the sand along the seashore. So young person, doesn't matter who you are. I don't know what you think God thinks of you. But he's revealing to us what he thinks of us. He's got trillions upon trillions of words spoken to every cell in the structure of our physical bodies. Telling us it's all good. Nothing evil. It's all full of peace. Abundance of life. In every area of your life. Those are my thoughts of you. And then to give you an expected end. A time throughout eternity. Where you will experience the fullness of everything I brought you into being for. Wow. See, understanding the will of God begins when we understand how much he loves us. His thoughts are not just for the Jewish people. His thoughts are for every single one of us because we are all his. We belong to him. And by the way, this body of ours, may I clarify also, does not belong to any man or any woman in the body of Christ. You've been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are no longer his. And we are told to glorify him in our body and our spirits which belong to him, not us. So what we do with them is really not up to us. What we do with them is really up to him. Okay. When we understand how much God loves us, we'll begin to understand that his will for us is for all these wonderful things. But knowing that, the enemy will do what? Everything within his power to, to distort our concept of God. He'll try to inject these thoughts into our minds that really lead people down a wrong path. You're not good enough. You're not valuable enough. Your life isn't all that great. God's displeased with you. God does, doesn't really care about you too much. You know. He'll maybe tolerate you, but he's frustrated with you. And all these thoughts begin to come to our minds faster than machine gun bullets can fly. But you know what? If you don't know what I just said, you might buy the lie. You might accept those lies of the devil. That's called deception. No, you are so precious. You are so valuable that every detail of your life was detailed by the hand of Almighty God who created you when you were yet unformed in your mother's womb. And as Jeremiah was told, I saw you before your mother's womb and I detailed your life before that. Act of conception took place. And should we go a step further? When Jesus was born, when Jesus was conceived... Did he not exist before he entered the womb? Did he not? He sure did, didn't he? So you see, life comes from God, not man. And life is to be governed by God and not man. And the decisions that we make must be based on his views, not ours. So if we think that we're nothing in the sight of God, you know what? The devil will wreak havoc with our lives. So you people that are graduating, going off into the field of whatever God has called you to do, First of all, take a big step out knowing that God loves you and God has a perfect plan for your life. God cares about you so much. He's detailed your life. And from beginning to end, he's mapped it all out. And all we've got to do is kind of step into it and let it unfold. It will emerge one step at a time. And we'll, we'll, we'll share some of the steps in just a moment. But also, 
since it was established in our mother's womb, it reveals to us that God views conception differently than what man does. You see, he's ordered our steps. And in many cases, it's revealed to us even before the entrance into the womb. And so we thank God that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, Eve allowed Satan to distort her view of God. Her concept of God shifted when these thoughts entered her mind. You see, he made her think that, number one, her will was better than God's will for her life. When he said, you see that tree over there? That tree represents something better. And so, therefore, her concept shifts. Is it possible that there's something better out there for me? So she has this thought in her mind, there's something more that I can have. So if I just step out beyond maybe what God's will is and just engage in what my will might be, that's going to be better for me. And then it kind of translates into this. You see, your love for yourself is greater than your love for God. Than God's love for you, rather. Your love for yourself you see, you love yourself so much that you owe it to yourself to partake of that tree. You need to partake of that tree. Because you see, that tree represents a will. That's your will. You do your, let your will be done. Your will is greater than God's will. Your love for you is greater than God's love for you. And you can bless yourself, number three, better than God can bless you. Because you see, I'm going to point you in a direction where all that's going to be yours. She bought the lie, didn't she? And she looked at that and said, yes. My will's better than God's will for my life. Yes, I love myself more than God loves me. Yes, I can do better for myself and bless myself better than what God can. And those were her thoughts. And that's exactly what the enemy wants people to think. You know, he wants me to come to church. He wants me to study his word. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do that. Really? A person who thinks that my will's better than God's that I love myself more than God does. Who per, person who really thinks I can bless myself better than God can is deceived. And their concept of God has been distorted by the enemy. What God wants us to know is this. My will for you goes far beyond anything you can possibly imagine. My will for you is perfect peace in every area of your life. My will for you was established in the garden when I made man from the very beginning and put him in a place to where he had everything and anything he could desire and want. My will would have been for him to finally graduate after passing the test of what he would do with his own free will and moral agency to a place of absolute oneness with me. But you know what? Man didn't choose that. Number two, God wants us to know that his love for us is far greater than our love for ourselves. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And we need to get that deep into our hearts. He loves us more than we love ourselves. And so his love for us will be translated into number three, blessing us beyond anything we can do to bless ourselves. Because you see, our abilities to bless ourselves are limited, whether it be to our knowledge or understanding or whatever that we face in this life. There are many things that will come against it. And so God wants us to know that he, number one, has a better will for our lives. He, number two, will bless us better than we can bless ourselves and loves us so much more than we love ourselves think about it 
When Jesus says, greater love is no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends, it doesn't get better than that. And when the Bible says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he rests in his love for us, you know what that means? That God has taken every fiber of his being in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and you call that ultimate love and poured his love out unto death for every single one of us. We can't do that for ourselves. That's how much he loves us. That's his love for us. And so you see, God's will is better than ours. God's love is greater than ours. And God's ability to bless goes far beyond anything that we can do. And so what he wants us to do is recognize these things and get on the right course with him. Now, go back to Jeremiah 29. Look at verses 13 and 14. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to take a vow, not before God, but before me. Is that okay? Promise me. Every one of you going to promise me that what I'm about to say to you, you're going to keep to yourself and not tell my wife? Come on now. I see some heads going both ways. I want everybody to be in agreement here now. Okay? Let's read the scriptures first. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. And I will gather you from all nations and from all places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again to the place. Notice, I will bring you again to the place whence I have caused you to be carried away captive. Now, what he is saying is this. When you get off course like you're off course right now, you're going to be 70 years in, Babylon, in Babylonian captivity. You know, I'm going to get, bring you back to a place. I'm going to get you rerouted. I'm going to get you back on course. You see, you see when, when we let God down, maybe we do things that are wrong. God doesn't reject us. He redeems us. Okay? That's what he does. Well, I just want you to know that I've got this. I got my eye on this uh, pretty cute lady. She's soft-spoken. Real soft-spoken. Travels with me. When I go different places, very bright, very wise, smart, doesn't nag, doesn't talk back. When I make mistakes, all she hollers out is rerouting. Anyone know her name? Siri. Ask her anything, just about anything. I once asked her how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. You should listen to her answer. It's astounding. She got all the detail of woodchucks. And she says, and since really it's a groundhog, let's talk about groundhogs. But anyhow, so don't tell my wife now. You see, when we get off course with God, he doesn't reject us. He reroutes us. He says, I'll bring you back to the place where you need to be. He's always working toward that end. He's always working toward that goal. Because, you know, he understands we navigate through this life at a disadvantage. You know, we've got blinders on. It takes time to grow and develop, doesn't it? Too soon we grow old, too late we get wise. And along the way, sometimes we make some unwise choices and decisions. So whatever choice or decision that you made in your life, 
no matter what it was up until this point, I want you to understand something. God is not in any way condemning you. God is not in any way putting you down. In any way, doing anything to hurt you. His will for you, for me, is for good, not for evil. To give us a blessed future and hope. And also to provide peace now, shalom, as we live our lives here upon the earth. And he is always trying to redirect us, reroute us to get to the right place where we ought to be. Now I understand that sometimes my Siri makes mistakes. Because one day when I was in Pittsburgh and I just plugged it in to go back to Beaver, she sent me to Emlinton and said, you have now arrived in Beaver. And it took me writing into the company to let them know that Beaver is not there. Because when I got there and I sat there looking around and saw all these trees and no, no building whatsoever, I was an hour and a half away from home. It was on the other side of uh, Grove City. Even she can make mistakes. But God can't. He's made no mistakes. And he's created you with his creative powers and abilities. He drew up the blueprints and the design of your life from your mother's womb. In detail, he lays it all out to let you know that don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I care about you so much. I want only good things for you. And I want peace. Abundant life. Prosperity, provision, health, blessing, favor, is all my design for you. So if you want to step into the will of God for your life, that's what you're stepping into. Now, can a person go off and take another course? They sure can. But I guarantee you the Holy Ghost is trying to reroute you. Get back on track. Okay. So let's discover the will of God. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3. This is the amplified version of the Bible. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly or completely to him. Now notice this. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. That is a very important verse when it comes to understanding the will of God. And learning of the will of God for my life, for our lives. There are no magic formulas. I know when you talk along this line or preach along this subject, there are those that just give me this magical formula that I can instantly know. Well, that doesn't exist in any area of our lives. Sometimes when I'm in counseling sessions, after I'm done with a session, I sit back in my chair, pull out my drawer and just say, Lord, why don't you put a wand in here where I can just pull it out and just do that and just boom, praise God, everything's a-okay. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It doesn't work that way. Not at all. Now, it's up to us to make a decision. As he said, you're going to seek and find me when you search with all your heart. And so, yes, I'm going to say it to all of us. We all have to do our part, don't we? It's already been detailed. It's already been established. God has already outlined it and designed it. It's all found right here in this book, generally. And then specifically, you'll find it along the way as we do what he said to do. So that's where it begins. So number one. What's the number one will of God for my life and for your life? Is that we be saved. That we be born again, washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, what it says. Who have all men to be saved. 
who will have all men to be saved. What is the will of God for all men? To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We live in a world of lies. You realize that? I mean, lies around every corner. And a lot of people that are being lied to by the lie, like Eve did, Eve did from the very beginning, and then have these thoughts of God that are wrong. God wants you saved. He wants me saved. He wants us to be a part of his royal family. He has wonderful things. He has an inheritance for us. He has great things for us. But the number one thing is to pull us up out of the miry clay and put our feet on solid ground so that we can know for sure that when we leave this realm, we do have a, a future hope, an expected end, that we are going to be with him in a place of eternal bliss and not a place of eternal suffering. That's number one. Number two, he wants us all. And here's where sometimes, today's the day of Pentecost, and I really warred with going what direction that I would go in, but it's the, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the celebration of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. Okay? His will is that we all be filled with the Holy Ghost. That's his will. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Whereof... Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Well, if this is saying this is what the will of the Lord is, then obviously we have a revelation of what the will of the Lord is. So number one is will that I be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And number two, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, it's be being filled with the Spirit. In John 7, 37-39, on the great day of the feast, was the Feast of Pentecost, he said that it was his will that rivers of living water flow out from us, but this spake he of the Spirit, that they which believe on him should receive. So if we have not received the Holy Ghost in full measure, then we're really not stepping into the will of God for our lives. And I hear all kinds of people that are out there saying all kinds of different things, but I don't want to hear about tongues. I don't want to speak with other tongues. I don't want this and I don't want that. Why don't you let God be the judge? Jesus said, if you believe on me in my name, you'll cast out devils. Number one, number two, you'll speak in tongues. So what's the big deal about speaking in tongues? And you get all the preachers that are out there preach against it, deceived into thinking that it's not for the church today. When Jesus made it very clear in my name, you will speak with new tongues. A universal language given by the Spirit of God that one day, who knows, we might speak throughout eternity. Speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives us utterance. If we can believe God can confound all languages, where, where did he do it? Tower of Babel is where he confounded all languages. They were one language. They spoke all one language and they could do whatever they set out to do, God said. So he confounded their language so they couldn't understand one another. But he said, but the day's coming when I'm going to give you a universal language. And I'm going to speak it to you in, in, in this other tongue. So that's the will of God also for our lives. And this is, again, a general revealed will. And why am I starting here? Because if we want the specifics, we start with the general. To let him know our heart. I want to know what you want, what your will is for my life. Number one, be saved. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Number two, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Number three, our sanctification. Very clear. Look at uh, in Timothy. Look at what First Thessalonians chapter, rather. For this is the will of God. Is that hard to explain? Someone says, that's your interpretation of it. Give me yours. <laughs> What's the interpretation of this is the will of God for you, for all of us, even your what? Is it his will that I'm sanctified? What's that mean? Set apart for his use. And look, look at, he goes on to explain it. That you should abstain from fornication. 
that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, is that clear? So the will of God is that I, number one, am saved, come knowledge of the truth. Number two, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Number three, live a sanctified, set-apart life. I'm dedicating my body to his service. And then number four, that I seek the kingdom of God. Remember when Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount that your life, what is your life? He said, don't be fretful or anxious about your life. First thing he says in Matthew 6, 33 is this, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Remember he said, you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its operation and his righteousness and all these things shall be what? Added to you. So in other words, if you trust him enough to believe him that if you seek his kingdom, then all the other benefits of life, what benefits is he talking about? A place where you can hang your coat, a place where you can hang your hat, a place where you have cover over you. In other words, a house, a home, food, shelter, clothing, drink, all that you need, the necessities of life will be added to you when you put him first and seek his kingdom first. Father, where do I fit in your kingdom? So generally speaking, this is what he desires for us. And then number five, we're not to worry and fret and be anxious about anything. Matthew 6, 25, look at what he says. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Don't even think about it. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're, what, what you're going to put on, what you're going to wear for your body, what you're going to put on. It's not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. It's a whole lot bigger than that, a whole lot more than that. And what is he saying? That we should not be so gung-ho about seeking the dollar that we ignore the kingdom. That we recognize the fact that if we devote and surrender our hearts and lives to him and seek his kingdom, seek his desire for us in this life, all those things will be added to us. And he'll see to it that we are cared for. Because these things are necessities and he knows it. The father knows you have need of all these things. But he says still ask. And he'll provide them for you. So this is just some of the general revealed will of God for us. Study your Bible. Get in a place of prayer. Wednesday we talked about a secret place of prayer. Where you can have interaction with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord and all that. So that's where it begins. That's where it begins. But then to find the specific will of God, I have listed for you some keys. We won't look at all the verses. You should know many of them. Number one, walk with God. Walk with God. We're not going to trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And all our ways acknowledge him so he can direct our paths if we don't trust him. So to trust someone, you have to walk with someone. Make a decision that you're going to take a period of time in your life. That you're going to set apart that time in a private place where you say, Lord, I'm here to walk with you. I'm going to live a life that's pleasing to you. And I want to do the general revealed will so you can give me the specifics that you have for my life. When I first got saved, I'm, you've heard my testimony. You just couldn't keep me out of the things of God. Got so fired up, studied the word of God, started studying the books I can about the word of God. I mean, on fire for God and just desiring to know his plan for my life. Number two. We'll do these quickly. Surrender to God's general revealed will. Surrender to that. Renew your mind to the word of God. Dedicate your body to the service of God. But follow that plan that's general so we can lead, he can lead us to the specific. He'll reroute us if we're going in a wrong direction. Number three, obey what we know to be God's will. Whether it's be filled with the Holy Ghost, be sanctified, be set apart for God. Obey that. Put yourself in a position where through obedience, which is better than sacrifice, you can receive that direction from the Lord. 
And then next, seek godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors, we are told there's much wisdom. And so it's not wrong to seek counsel from other people and uh, get advice from other people, especially that if they're more mature in the things of God than you are. And then the next one, to know the gift of God that he's planted really in your life. And Peter, we are told about, as every man received a gift, be a good steward of the gift or the manifold grace of God. Use it to be a blessing to the body of Christ. So when we're dedicated and set apart to doing what God would have us to do in this life by following these, these things, it'll emerge. It'll come forth in our lives. And then the next one, uh, be spirit-led. Nothing can take the place of this. Be spirit-led. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What's in your heart? I went off to school at Rhema because God put something in my heart. I didn't hear an audible voice, but in my heart, something, a desire just grew and increased more and more inside me that I needed to go and I needed to do this. Yes, in the natural, it was a fearful thing, but, but I had to obey God. And if everybody around me did not want me to leave, did not want me to go, you'll hear many voices when you make a decision to step out into the will of God for your life. But you know what? You can't let those voices distract you from the tr true voice of God. This is what I have for you. You may not understand it right now, but just follow it. A quick testimony. I'll tell you, this, this is a quick, quick testimony. When you heard me say this maybe before, but when I purchased an, a, a, a big Hammond organ to go down to Tulsa when I was downsizing, downsizing this huge Hammond organ to go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma from Youngstown, Ohio, I thought, this is crazy. I got rid of my guitar. How big is a guitar compared to a big, huge theater organ but when I got ready to come home from there and the Lord sent me back see I knew in my heart I needed to do it it sound it was just so unreasonable illogical and we had a baby born and a hospital bill and I said Lord how am I going to pay for it distinctly sell the organ he's much wiser and smarter than I am because that organ money would have been spent on bread milk etc 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 but he said sell it he paid off the whole bill be led by the spirit of god even when it seems illogical like walk around the wall seven times go dip in a river seven times it's illogical makes no sense but be led by the spirit of god and then the next one is listen to your heart those verses there in proverbs 37 Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. Notice, delight yourself in the Lord. What does that mean? As you begin just to follow his plan, that you know and you honor him, that he'll cause to birth within your spirit the things that represent his will for your life. He'll cause on the inside of you a birthing process to take place. He'll give you desires within your heart that says this is the way walk in it this is what you ought to do for your life it will get stronger and stronger and so finally you commit and let's throw that verse up there once again you commit i'm committing my life to you i'm com committing my way to you i'm committing my walk to you i'm committing my body to you my emotions to you let's look at this again roll your works upon the lord once and for all I'm committing it to you. Commit and trust them wholly, completely, entirely to him. And say, if you said to buy that organ, I'm going to buy that organ. It, it makes no sense to me whatsoever, but I'm going to commit myself totally trusting you and you alone, Lord. 
He will cause your thoughts. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and you'll succeed. So what's he doing with this interaction with him? He's causing on the inside of you all the details he put together for your life. Line upon line, precept upon precept to come into place so that you can leave Youngstown, so that you can go all the way to Tulsa, come back and go to Youngstown, and then go to Midland. And from Midland, uh, come up to the industry area where you put this church together, etc. It's like, really? Lord, you know, do you know that Tulsa is a thousand miles away and Midland from Youngstown is only 40, if that? Why would you send me a thousand miles away to end up somewhere 40 miles away? You're why. Let's all stand.